I am Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I am Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Holo Holo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabeg people. Happy New Year, and for the month of January, the Halo Halo podcast is going back to the vault. And on today's podcast, we revisit the 90 supermodels. But before we begin, we should <laughs> wish each other a Happy New Year and get caught up, Sigs. It's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke. It has been. Happy New Year. I hope your holidays New Year. were fantastic. It's so yes. weird. 2022. It's not a yes. sequel. It's 22, <laughs> right? I'm hoping that by the way things are going. What do you think? Oh, my gosh. I hope that this is only a sequel and not a trilogy, at least in terms of this virtual pandemic environment that we've been in. Depending where you are in the world, I'm sure you've either had a lockdown or restrictions have been felt because of the latest variant. But here we are to what hopefully will be our last kind of more virtual year, at least at work and at school and whatever other activities you're involved in. And the best part is that you and I and our loved ones have actually been very healthy and really good. So it's a good way to ring in the new year. So that, right. that's a good thing on our catch up here. What have you been up to pop culture wise, Kuya? Uh, two things to tell you oh. about. One is, is I finally caught up on Hawkeye during oh. the holiday season. So yeah. Tell me, tell so me, tell that me, tell was me. really great to see. And it just reminds me how much Hawkeye is a really underrated character in the Marvel it's Cinematic true. Universe. And you're right. It was a really wonderful special event series to watch during the holiday break in a lot of ways. And yeah. what was also fascinating too was for my 37th birthday, did I spend it in NYC at the uh-huh. time? And of course, our friend Elizabeth was there and our friend yeah. Tara was there. And it was just kind of great to see all of these iconic Christmas shots in New York City. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, I was there too. Oh, I saw that when I was there, for, you know, for the holiday season. So that was really nice to see. The other thing that I've actually taken up, because I find that during the holiday break and during the winter months, I'm in kind of like epic world mode. Uh-huh. Meaning I like watching high fantasy or high science fiction. Oh, so well, I've taken up, yes, Wheel of Time is what I've taken up. It's available on Prime Video with Rosman Pike, I think is her name. Oh, Rosman Pike, yeah. Uh, yes. And so she was part of Gone Girl and a whole bunch of other movies as well. But she has this series. She's like part of an ensemble cast where they are looking for a reborn dragon, meaning this is a person who will have magical powers that will be able to beat the evil one at some point. And so we follow her character, who is an Aes Sedai, who basically is able to touch the one power, which is, I guess, the equivalent of some natural magical ability and force of nature in some ways that she can tap into. And she's out looking for who the dragon reborn will be, but she doesn't know out of these five characters. So that has really taken up a bit of my time. And then I finally caught up on Foundation on Apple 
plus TV. What's that about? Yeah, that's the Isaac Asimov, you know, Ah. film or series as well. So that's been kind of interesting. It's just been, again, high super, either supernatural and high fantasy or science fiction in a lot of ways, as opposed to getting into these kind of like Hallmark holiday movies or (laughs) Christmas specials by Kelly Clarkson and Michael Buble. (laughs) I've opted for these types of things instead. What about you? What have you been up to pop culture wise? So it's so funny. On the 24th of December, the movie Encanto was released mm. on Disney+. Plus. I told my wife and the kids, I'm like, hey, guys, you know, we're just killing some time. I go, do you guys want to watch this? I don't know much mm. about it. And basically, it's a family based in Colombia. A daughter mm. with a magical-based family wonders why she wasn't bestowed a magical power in this matriarchal family until she questions an odd observation to the foundation of their house on the evening of her younger cousin when he receives his gifts of magic. This mm. story hits on all levels of an immigrant family about sacrifice, pleasing other family members, letting go, accepting that everyone has a value in a family. And it hits on every single level of immigrant family. It's wonderful. Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the music. Mm. Stephanie Beatriz, who is from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, is the lead character, Mirabelle. It's wonderful. It's catchy. I didn't expect to like my kids loved it. The music is fantastic. And it was just wondering why why is Mirabelle Madrigal, this younger child, not bestowed any gifts? Why is that odd? And it's Mm. always about a family trying to keep up appearances. And the abuela is the matriarch and trying to preserve this magic. And how does Mirabelle fit in the picture? And why is it that she feels like she's overcompensating for not having magic? And Mm. for some reason, it hit me where in some cases, and I'm using this as examples, you know, in some Filipino families where they really focus on some of the people getting the education, where brothers and sisters make sure that they pay to make sure that some of the sisters who are really good at school get those opportunities. And sometimes they sacrifice their own opportunities to make sure that that dream is reached. And it right. really hits on it. Highly recommend to watch it. It's called Encanto. Fantastic. We listen to the music on it. Like, I don't know how Lin-Manuel Miranda does it. He hits on every single level. Like, the music is really great. It makes me feel guilty because I still haven't seen Hamilton yet. But (laughs) that man is a wizard. Like, it was just He totally is. And I think he's going to be, like, the next Alan Menken. I agree. That's exactly it. Like a superstar in a lot of ways. And it's going to help usher in what I would think is the third golden age of Disney animation and Disney musicals. And and hopefully in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Absolutely beyond. From like a super talented composer to supermodels of the (laughs) 1990s. Yeah. So January, as our listeners will know, is back to the vault. And so previous attempts to go back to the vault, we've looked at a number of different things. But this time around, we're looking at supermodels, you know. And so in our planning discussions, you had talked about kind of like, oh, let's go back to something iconic. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because I think we should start off with you first in terms of of what the supermodels are all about and how it kind of came about because I think you referenced a lot of stuff that actually started, believe it or not, in 1989, actually. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny. I have to give credit to the 90s podcast, and I'll give a link to it. They did a section on supermodels, and the reason why supermodels became such a thing in the 90s and say the word iconic, and Jez and I, when we said, okay, let's revisit this, he and I stumbled upon the same things. The reason why supermodels almost became this grasp to us is because when it came to, like, fashion brands, there were things called diffusion lines. Now, diffusion lines enabled, I, I don't know how to say this, like, normal people. Not it, Everything wasn't high couture. It was able to be purchased by anybody, 
right? So right, when brands right. like Calvin Klein or whatever, you were able to buy cologne, clothing at affordable prices. And it was like those fashion moguls were able to bring it down to us, the normal people, like, you know, <laughs> and they were able to consume it. When I think of the iconic supermodel in my head, I don't know about you, Kuya, when I close my eyes, I think black and white. I think Herbert's photography. I think of George Michael's video, Mm. Freedom 90, which came from Listen Without Prejudice. Now, if you don't know, wonderful, wonderful musician George Michael, formerly of Wham!, had released this album. Was it 1989, I think it was released, right? Listen Without Prejudice. And one of the... was it yes. 19, like and he I it, think it was 1990 actually. I think it was, was released 1990. And I yeah. thought purposely I don't think he appeared in any of his videos, which some people didn't no, like. No, he didn't. So the Freedom 90 video came out and I remember seeing it classically in my head and I, I always think of wintertime. There was these beautiful women that were in these things and I was like mm. those people are really famous and why are they famous and why are these supermodels like it was like this big brand these quintets of people coming out and you would just see these beings i almost call them like beings and you just (laughs) knew that they were beauty and they were just chameleons when i saw freedom 90 i automatically saw this wonderful model named linda evangelista and mm. she was everywhere. Now, there's a big buildup. And I know that you have some t- like some good background on exactly this a Vogue cover that was very inspirational right. to Freedom 90. Do you want, yeah. Go ahead. Well, but I was going to say that the, the photo that you're referencing mm-hmm. by her Brits mm-hmm. was actually taken in 1989, which then inspired Peter Lindbergh who in January 1990 was tasked with actually coming up at the behest of the Vogue editor to photograph who the new woman of the 1990s would be that would then appear on January 1990 British Vogue. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening was he felt that actually there's different types of beauty. And so he said that there was more than just kind of blonde-haired and blue-eyed women and then hence gathered what would originally or later be known as the original five supermodels. And then that cover George Michael saw and then I think came out the concept of that Freedom 90 video kind of coming out, that really cool, sultry song and video filled with blue tones and warm fire yellows and stuff like that. Fantastic. And I remember it being on heavy rotation over and over and over again, right? So, yeah. And I think that's why we probably know all the words. But did you find it really interesting that once you saw this video and those who were like in our teens and our 20s back in the 90s, we were able to identify the women in the video. It wasn't about the male models. It was the supermodel was the focus, right? When I think of Linda Evangelist, you think of her, that platinum blonde hair, which she did the day before. She came into that shoot and she wore this black sweater that she had borrowed from like the guy that was like directing the video and she tucked her head in, which was her own sense. And she had these angular faces, these supermodels, including Naomi Campbell, Cindy Crawford, Christy Turlington. Who else was in Cindy Crawford, Christy Turlington, Naomi Campbell, Linda Evangelista. Patricia. It, it was Petites. Yes. 
Petites. Petites. Yeah. You were just hypnotized, right? They were all lip syncing yeah. the song. And, you know, I remember Naomi Campbell, like she was wearing that sheer top and the earphones mm. like that. She was wearing like the cans and then she was yeah. rocking to it. Cindy Crawford was in the tub and yeah. like you just saw the, her neck and then you just saw the iconic mole. And right. just like Christy Turlington was like the big bed sheet, yeah. which they tried to shoot. That, she was that bed sheet apparently was the most expensive, expensive thing, thing on set. On the set, apparently. <laughs> they had right? no money. Is what legend would say. Yeah. Right. And all the boots, like that sweater was borrowed from the other director's boyfriend just to do it but it was just iconic like they were still there the supermodels were working but it was like that introduction it was that staple of 1990 i found that when that came out in 1990 a it had was making so much commentary b really heralded how supermodels were being seen as spokespersons and what I would say are later progenitors of today's influencers. So George Michael was having a row with his company Sony and said, I don't really want to be in front of the camera anymore. And so his first single praying for time time was all just words. It was your your first lyric video. Like that's the most ironic part. Like in 1990, like we see lyric videos all the time now on YouTube. YouTube, But that was the first lyric video. And And everyone's like, where the hell is George Michael? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, or, Oh, what's his name? Dylan. What's that singer's name? Bob Dylan. 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 Bob Dylan. I mean, maybe he had the first. Lyric oh yeah, with the, with, yeah, the yeah, words, with yeah. his cards and the stuff. Cards. Like, so perhaps this is the second modern day lyric video. But either way, heralded how supermodels were that day's spokespersons, and just showed that you could actually put out a music video without actually the artist singing. And I just thought that that video cemented what supermodels were going to be for the rest of the decade to come, and the cinematography, the styling. Oh the art direction. I have to say it was a steady intention and contrast because kind of what you were already alluding to, instead of that kind of flashy, vibrant colors that we would see in any other videos of the day, we had cool blues and those fireside yellows that I had talked about. And again, that point that how the radio star can sell one's songs without having to show his face. So as the Buggles would say, like maybe they were wrong after all. And to me, it was this whole anti-capitalistic meta message of the video and the use of models as a vehicle for selling. Before, models were just seen as, like, a mannequin. if you will, a mannequin. A hanger. You know, a clothes rack, you know, a hanger. But now they were actually a vehicle, a vehicle for selling. And then, interestingly enough, it was like where I thought we saw the first shabby chic, even though they were on a string shoe budget yeah. of sorts. A sweater, a bathtub, boxer shorts, a bed a sheer sheet. Shirt. It was just like, wow, they could sell me that bed sheet and they could call it George Michael Home Collection. I, I probably would have bought it. Ate it a lot. I would have I would have bought it. You totally would have bought it. And then that warehouse industrial blade runner feel versus a stage runway or a pristine photo shoot. It was wonderful. So it was to see these high fashion models in such really raw, shabby chic conditions. There is a beauty to it, you know, and I thought it was genius. I thought it was genius on so many levels. And then I think what was really interesting was David Fincher, the director. That's who right. Go David Fincher. To, yeah. You know, he's directed other Madonna videos because I think in 1989, before that was Express Yourself. And then he directed that George Michael video. What was really interesting about David Fincher is, is that he told all the models just 
just do what you would normally do. And then he really showcased their personality. And this was when we started to see the personalities of these supermodels come out and how these personalities suddenly endeared an audience to a moment or to a lifestyle or to a product. It suddenly, for me, romanticized the notion of how I wanted to live in a loft. And it With was like... Brick, exposed Breck. I totally... You, you do a totally. kettle, you'd be in the yes. black turtleneck like Linda Evangelista, and you're just like muttering a song to yourself in the corner. Yeah. Right? Yeah. With my cans on, the, just thinking just like to myself, sing. oh yeah, I'm having a great time in my really rough industrial London-based loft. And I have to say, like for the longest time, I thought I wanted to own a loft, and I have to credit that video for it. Although... Listeners, I would never live in a loft these days. You'd get no privacy if you had to share it with another it's person. Open. It's too open. It's too maybe open. Maybe if we had a the studio. Sound would reverberate. Maybe, maybe, maybe a small studio. Hey. But yeah, yeah it yeah. did. It just presented them in a very iconic way. I, I do agree with you. Like, it was just an introduction. And little did you know, right, that was 1990. Then all of a sudden there was an onslaught yes. of the supermodels where, tidbit, trivia, folks, Linda Evangelista is from where I'm from. She's from St. Catharines, mm. Ontario. <laughs> and she was discovered, like, in the 80s for a Miss Teenight Agra. Oh, and, right, she, and it's that small town goal, right, Kuya? Like, yeah. oh, my God, she was discovered in St. Catharines. Oh, then, you know, and then she went to Paris. She was this famous person. And I kid you not, I remember being in high school and she went to the Penn Center, the mall that was in St. Catharines, and people were just following around. My, so my friend's like, we saw Linda Evangelista and we followed it into Roots. And then I'm like, and then what did you do? Like pretend to shop or just like stared at her with her open mouth? Oh you gosh. know, it was just like stars just like us. And she was a chameleon. Linda Evangelista, yeah. her hair could be long, her hair could be short. Like, I think that's what was really interesting about her. Like, she wasn't one look. She was many looks. Right, right, right. Right? And I think she brought out that supermodel that I can look like anything. Watch me now. Like, and from a small town, because the interviews that we would see her on, she seemed rather down to earth, accessible, you know, not necessarily full of herself, as opposed to what you might think in some ways. Well, like someone from like opposite ends, like even yeah. though like Naomi Campbell, we, oh, she's always been a diva and people misidentify her. And I did too. Like, remember the quotes in the nineties about, I won't get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. <laughs> people think it's Naomi Campbell. It wasn't, it was Linda Evangelista that said it. Oh my God. Which is that's shocking, so funny. Right? But we automatically think it's Naomi Campbell because Naomi Campbell, who actually was discovered as a ballet student in England. Wow. Right? And she was just, you know, she's known for a temper and all that stuff, which is unfortunate. Don't mess with her luggage on like a British Airways flight or, you know, be her assistant where she throws a phone at you. But for her to be a groundbreaking person of color and a model from a mixed background, it was amazing. This beautiful face who always like bragged on like Kentucky Fried Chicken and everything like that. Mm, She, you know, she was British. And she embodied that. And then you had Cindy Crawford, right? Kuya, like, yes, who yes. was the full-bodied person. She wasn't right. super skinny. And, like, then she be, like, Cindy Crawford became a brand. From Pepsi to being the girlfriend of Richard Gere, cover of Vanity Fair with Katie Lang, posing as guy on Rolling Stone, the iconic mole being, like, on the house of style. She was just American-branded. Like, you saw her. Totally. She could be on a cover of Vogue or she could be commercial. But people knew who Cindy Crawford was. Yes. It was just this beautiful body of work. And then Chrissy Turlington, again, she was just part of that group of those supermodels. Like, you almost grouped them together. Yeah, she right? was part of that original five, right? you know. And listeners, you should know there's the original five and then the big five. And so, basically, you would have to sub out petites with Claudia Schiffer. Claudia, like She gets in there the later on. Yeah. But I would also say, two things, that there's almost two P 
periods to That's the supermodel right. of ahead. the 1990s. Yeah. So there's that original and Big Five, you know, that all kind of came out from that Herbert's photo in 1989 to Peter Lindbergh's Vogue cover to George Michael, and then later being referenced by 1992 by RuPaul's supermodel. That's right. Work, yeah. You know, where she just kind of says aesthetic. like Naomi, Linda, yeah. you know, Cindy and all those people, Nikki. And then there's that second half where then suddenly we started to get like Giselle Bündchen and Kate Moss was the shift, right? Kate Moss. It became a wave, like a wave thing. And then it moved. It it started to move. And then that's actually when you started to see more of those supermodels started to gravitate for not only just like accessible brands, but more luxury brands and rebranding things like Victoria's Secret. That's that's actually where we ended up at the the late nineties in terms of the supermodel craze and supermodel of the 1990s in a lot of ways. But yeah, that was a great time because it really taught me at least that you could use fashion to your advantage to kind of position yourself in a number of different ways and to sell things. And it didn't have to be how you looked. It could it had to be melded with your personality because we knew the personalities of each of these oh, yeah, different exactly. models, right. right? Yeah. And then at the same time, like I know that you'll talk about one of the fashion shows that you looked at, but do you remember that fashion show Fashion file with Elsa Clench. That was on CNN, right? Okay. It's like Elsa Clench was on CNN, mm-hmm. but to keep it to Canadian on the CBC, they had Tim Blanks on Fashion File. And he was this kind of expatriate. I think he was a British expatriate. I'll have to look this up. And he would always have a clip on the weekends in juxtaposition to Elsa Clench and fashion television. Uh, and I know that you saw a lot television. of fashion television. Okay, yeah. let's be honest. Okay. Yes. I grew up with Michael Dan, mm. who I love, who's out in Proud and Gay, and he always watched it. But let's be honest. Yes. I watched fashion television, and I apologize if I hope I don't have anyone... You saw a lot of sexy women. Okay, on a Sunday afternoon at 6.30 p.m. on City TV, you would see Jeannie Becker. You'd hear the synth. This is from the 80s, the band Animotion song, Obsession, You're My Obsession. Neat, neat, neat. Like, you'd hear it, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, you're going (laughs) to see really sexy women, like, from 6.37 p.m., sometimes in, like, scantily clad. I was like, oh. And plus, I was like a 13-year-old, 14-year-old going, oh, hey. Wow. Wow. Hot women and all that stuff. But I remember learning about it. My Uncle Dan would watch it and be like, oh, look, there's Calvin Klein. He has a new line out. And Jeannie Becker would just talk about fashion. I mean, like, she influenced, like, Brad Goreski, for Pete's sakes, who quoted her in his book where he said, I remember watching fashion television. I mean, he watched it for fashion. I I don't think I watched it for that. But (laughs) uh, I'm human. I'm so I apologize. But it was just titillating, right? I mean, people watched it for a variety of different things, whether it was, like, to figure out what's on trend or what's coming down the pipeline, or or just for the beauty of it all, the appreciation of beauty and excellence yeah. in a lot of ways. <laughs> thank yeah, you for think, making me, thank you for sprucing that up for me and well, making me so like such true. a dirtbag. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you look up things on positive psychology and there's this trait called appreciation of beauty and excellence, it is a valid thing to kind of have. We call it the eye. Except your eye was very much looking at something else. <laughs> oh my god! But wasn't it a staple, Kuya? Like Sunday nights, it totally like, was. It was, like yeah, people it totally would watch was. it. Like it, it was available to everyone, and it was just outreaching, and it really celebrated '90s supermodels. Like I just, that's why they became much more household names, right? Yeah, and again, all of this kind of set the stage what we would eventually see today, which are really kind of influencers. Like I would say that they were really the early influencers 
of the, the 1990s before social media. Like, it's so funny you talking about friends following Linda Evangelista oh, in the mall so into Roots. That if that was today, it would be like, can I get a selfie? And they're like, sure. Absolutely. And then don't forget to post it on social media. Hashtag whatever, you know, that influencer's name would be. And remember, these supermodels were making the cash in. But now it's much more a different landscape. Right is, now, it, like, yeah. to be an influencer, you need the followers. You need to make that money. And, like, they don't have those paychecks as much anymore right no and it's interesting to see how these supermodels have then pivoted on to things like talk shows right and ambassadors and stuff ambassadors ambassadors yeah in a lot of ways which is fine and this is what i i mean about like not only just being supermodels but super spokespersons and in fact i think it's kind of a misnomer i think they really should have been called super spokespersons but i guess this time has passed right hey i mean on star search they called it spokesmodel right yes that's right which and they're (laughs) not wrong Right? Yes, that's uh, right. That's right. Very, you know what? Ed was very ahead of his time back then. Mm-hmm. Oh, that Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon. Right? You know. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Well, Ed McMahon hosted a whole bunch of talent competitions and all of that stuff. Coming back to our topic, like revisiting '90s supermodels and fashion and stuff like that, it does make me think a little bit about kind of like you know the famous you know Filipino designers and stuff like yeah. that. There are two that I want to kind of bring up to our listeners, and in terms of fashion stylings and Filipino fashion designers, the first is Mark Tumang. And I'm sure you've probably seen his work, Sigs. He's probably best known for the Mayon gown worn by Miss Universe 2018, Catriona Gray. It's cool. Yeah, his stuff is great, actually. He's usually known for bridal work and debut gowns. But I have to say, such drama. Like, such Ooh. drama in his gowns. So when you think about that famous Mayon gown, or sometimes, you know, I kind of like to call it the volcano dress. I was going to say, is it <laughs> volcano? Like, I think volcano, too. Yeah, well, I think it's based on the Mayon volcano. Volcano. That's right. And her lava walk, I think, you know, Ooh, kind of helps yes. it kind of it illustrates it. And it, her lava walk, Catriona Gray's lava walk paired with his gown, you know, produced such not only what I would think was high fashion, but high drama. And I think that that drama really kind of comes from his background in theater production. And apparently it did some coursework at Central St. Martin's, which is a very famous fashion school in the world. When I think about Filipino fashion designers, that's the, you know, one of the guys that I think of. I'm wondering who you think of in terms of Filipino fashion designers. Well, it's so funny. I bumped into it because when we were looking for the name of the Hollow Hollow podcast, I didn't realize there's actually a Hollow Hollow brand in Manila that was right. created by Kara Sumabat. I know that she got married and mm. her last name is like Sumabat and Limp Jap. And so she and her brother Rocco, they created like handbags, leather goods, and homeware using Banig. So if mm. you don't know what Banig is, those are like recycled material and like they're hand-woven mats found in homes for sleeping and sitting. So what they did, they took these traditional Filipino ways of like weaving used in floor mats, placemats and bags and made it into handbags, like a nice bayong. They took these beauties of these simple crafts, like locally sourced traditional mm. Filipino things and made it high end. So right. with like modern style with ants. So like this brand, Hollow Hollow, has been out for a while. They had trunk shows in Paris and pop store in Manila. But their aesthetic, they've made it really modern. So I was looking for, like, I wanted to get Emily something interesting because you've seen hand-woven bags. But the bags that they had, they're all sold out. And, like, mm. they have, like, bucket bags, like, for beachwear. It's really, really cool. I'll put the link in our, our website. And I just thought, oh, their name is the same as our podcast. But That's what's so great cool. is they have, like, 
their homeware is really cool. It's not just ottomans and stuff, Kuya. Like, they made play structures for little kids. You know how they have, like, wedges yeah. and stuff to build? On their yeah. website, they have one for playing for kids. It's just really, really cool. And they just took something that the banig, something simple that we used, like, that would be on the floor for people to sit. Or, you know, when they take it to the beach, they made it. High fashion and repurposed it exactly, and refashioned it in some way, it's which is what really fashion cool. is all about, right? And and totally like being traditional Filipino, they're taking this type of handwork weaving and elevating it. I just thought it was a really cool thing to see, and I'll put their website in. And like Karen, her brother's work, she I think she was schooled at Parsons and. They just started getting into clothing wear, and she just has wrap shirts, and it's just like such a relaxed aesthetic, and by still sharing the resources that are made in the Philippines. I just think it's just a really cool way to just really show that mix of like high ends and Filipino traditional and being, art. Yeah. And yeah. being in touch with Filipino culture, like Mark Tamang yeah. is very much like that. Like his gowns and dresses are very much based on regions or parts of the Filipino culture. Like he's got one dress that is very much based on the, the Sari Manok. Oh, uh, cool. You know, like our version of the Filipino Phoenix That's in right. some ways. And again, like all kind of depicting drama, but based in Filipino lore or legend or geography. The other person that I wanted to highlight is Francis Liberan. Uh, he's known, actually, if you've ever watched America's Next Top Model, the 2012 cycle, you know, he's known for the Hello Kitty collection, <laughs> you know, that they were wearing and yeah. stuff like that. He originally studied architecture before moving towards fashion, but he has recently recently outfitted Darren Chris on a number of occasions, oh my gosh. including his most recent Christmas album that we <laughs> saw. And so some of his fashion is very, it is this kind of modern construction that very much has a Filipino aesthetic, but it's hard to almost put your finger on exactly what the, that Filipino aesthetic is, but it is very, very subtle and yet unique at the same time. So it all feels familiar but new. And that's, that's what cool. I like about his work. And he's gotten into many types of men's and women's clothing. He even does corporate clothing. <laughs> is that's what cool. I found out as a, yeah, it is right. So he does like resort wear for people that work at resorts and corporate wear, you know, so that everyone has like a corporate uniform and stuff like that. But even them, like all of that clothing looks really stylish and happening and hip at the same time. So yeah. And I think he's someone to kind of look out for, right? Because he's not only just outfitted Darren Chris, but many other Hollywood celebrities that have walked the red carpet in Hollywood. What's the other last designer that you have on your well, list? Well, I've talked about this guy peripherally, and I didn't know much about him, but Zaldi, Goko, mm. but goes by Zaldi only, who has been part of RuPaul's team since the mm. 80s. This right. gentleman is a Filipino-American designer born in Connecticut. I mentioned before, he's been nominated for Emmy several times, won three in a row for his work mm. on RuPaul's Drag Race. I didn't realize... Zaldi is like this brilliant guy, the person behind the scenes, behind the costumes for tours for Michael Jackson, Lady Gaga, Britney's Femme Fatale, Katy Perry, Pink's wow. tour, Cirque du Soleil, the Michael Jackson Cirque du Soleil's, including Volta. She, he also was the head for Gwen Stefani's Lamb. Love Angel Music Baby Line. Wow, amazing. Like, he is just, and it's so funny because I'm like, oh, Filipino won an Emmy. But when you look at his body of work, he's been with RuPaul since like the 80s. And right. he's worked with them. And he, there's a fantastic, I'm going to link the article. It, it just says, like, it's the list article, it's like, who's fashion designer Zaldi? And I love that he has a one name moniker, but he just says, you know, he's been there <laughs> a long time. He tells the book, he's like, I love. 
his silhouette. I love Rue's silhouette. I know what he's like. Sometimes we don't see leg. He helped from Paul, aside from like RuPaul's Drag Race. He's done a ton of stuff, including RuPaul had that show on Netflix, and he was part of that creation too. And he's just like, he's been there for a long time. He has like a big star studded. He's 55 years old. He's so low key. I follow him on Instagram. He's just so chill. This creative mind for him to be like a Lady Gaga tour to be the person mm. behind all this dressing. And he's done some really avant-garde Barney's windows for Christmas. Yes, I've seen and, and some, some of those, and, you know, yeah. and He had, like, I remember, like, this was a while ago, and I remember seeing this, and I was like, what is this? And he had Mrs. Claus and a big bow. And it was just, <laughs> and it's so elemental, because you're like, oh, that sort of looks Lady Gaga-ish with, like, the bubbles. Like, I always thought he was just super cool. And for him to be, like, an award winner, just, like, just chill and part of RuPaul's team, I just want to give him props, because I just think, yeah, Filipino yeah. guy. Totally there. He's very much behind the scenes. He doesn't mm-hmm. really want to be out there. No. And yet, ironically enough, has created some of the most iconic looks, at least on RuPaul's Drag oh Race. Oh, my gosh. And for what he's done. Actually, I've seen most of or more of his work on Cirque du Soleil. But yes, I do know some of the looks that he's put together for Katy Perry and for Lady Gaga. Just iconic stuff. There's a sense of like high drama and over the top without being ostentatious in yeah, a lot it's of like, ways. It's there, but for some reason, it's not like a, a t-shirt gun, right? It's not like so yeah. shoved in your face. It's like, take a look at the art. Like, I'm going to yeah. draw your eye. I think I'm going to draw your eyes up to it. That's what I think of him. Yeah, I would almost describe his fashion as very sculptural. Yeah. Things, you know, and so he's sculpted a look or sculpted something that looks what what we would call iconic and memorable. And that's probably another way to describe some of his fashion is, is that's been quite memorable. There are certainly some looks that I've been like, wow, Rue looks really great. Or Lady Gaga looks amazing on that red carpet in that Zaldi gown. Yeah. And like that's a great choice in terms of Filipino designers to highlight in this particular podcast, which I have to say kind of takes us to like our fixing of the week, which is when we look at all All of these four designers that Siggs and I have kind of talked about, I'd have to say that they all take pride in their craftsmanship and that each has a Pinoy touch and is really determined to kind of put out their Filipino artistry in their designs without necessarily kind of like saying this is like Filipino. They may use modern vignettes. They may use modern silhouettes, but they might use traditional techniques and weaving and materials or reference in very subtle ways our culture without, again, having to kind of put it in your face and put it on the world stage and people just go crazy and go gaga, you know, without... Pun intended. intended, right? (laughs) So, you know, I would almost say that there's something to be learned about from these up-and-coming designers or these Filipino designers. Whatever you create in this world, how can you add your own Pinoy touch? And again, it doesn't have to always be in the other person's face, but how can you put it in there without necessarily kind of going over the top or being too ostentatious. And I think that that is a good place to kind of start off our year and to think about for the, the year to come is how do we put our Pinoy touch on things? That is a great fixing of the week. And folks, have you heard any fashion, Filipino fashion designs we may have not covered? Tell us, let us know. And hey, maybe tell us what if you're creating anything, how do you add your own Pinoy touch? Email us at holohollowpopculture at gmail.com. The Holo Holo podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Rate us and leave a review. 
You can find us on our social media. Our Twitter handle is at HalloHalloPop. And on Instagram, we are at HalloHalloPopCulture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chell Turingen, and we'll see all of you guys again real soon. Happy 2022. Happy 2022. <laughs> Much health and prosperity to you, Byron. Oh, you too, Kuya. <laughs> <laughs>